Hello and welcome to the Herbicane Podcast. My name is Simon Osmo and I'm a former UK police detective turned entrepreneur and mindset coach. And on this podcast, I talk with impactful individuals from around the world who have navigated a life pivot, found themselves for a self-discovery to find that thing that we've all been looking for, a happy and fulfilled life. So the excuses are over, my friend. It's time to change our thinking so that we can change our lives and come join me as we dive into this week's conversation to learn how they became who they became. Welcome to the Herbert Came podcast. I'm Simon Osimo, and my guest today is Corey Harrington. Corey's life seemed to be on the right path, signing a professional baseball contract and destined for greatness. But when injury struck, he was given prescribed medication that changed his life forever. Now, a secret addiction then pursued, which he hid long after his playing days were over. But it took over 10 years, but he got to that place that many of us men struggle with. He admitted his wrongs and sought professional help. Now, he is now an overcomer, he's drug-free, and he's about to write a book about his life and experiences to help other young men. So if you want to learn how he pushed himself to do hard things, then this episode is for you. And I know that last week I told you about a free guide that I created to help me master my mindset in life and business. So if you're seeking a more fulfilled and balanced life, download the free guide from the show notes to see how it can be done. So if you're ready, let's take a listen to this week's conversation with Corey Harrington. Well, Corey, I'm really excited for this conversation. Once we had our pre-talk, I knew that there was going to be so much depth to our conversation, so much learning, and that my listeners are just going to really feel that you're a vulnerable man, you're a man of great integrity, and there's a lot of things that's happened in your life that people can learn from, and you yourself have learned from. So I want to start off just by welcoming you to the podcast, firstly. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Simon. I'm, I'm really happy to be here and to be able to share my story and the things I've learned with your audience. So I appreciate it. And, and let's dive straight in around your baseball career, because that does stem into, I'll hit some of the hard subjects early. There's talk about addiction within your background. There's overcoming. There's sort of some sort of um, deceit, some denial, but you know, you, you've moved past a lot of that. But Part of your journey really starts about you being a former professional baseball player and you didn't quite make the grade there, Corey, it's mostly fair to say. So maybe tell us, it might sound a bit harsh there, but let's maybe start <laughs> like that you shoot straight. Like. I like how you shoot it straight. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, so I I was drafted by the Seattle Mariners and for a lot, a lot of my life, my identity was wrapped up in being a baseball player. And really the, my story kind of begins of who I became the moment that uh, I became addicted to opioids after uh, surgery towards the end of my baseball career. And so that moment really started me down a path of not knowing who I was and acting in a way that was so far from who I thought I was that, uh, that I was overcome with, besides the addiction, with shame and fear and denial and all these things um, that kind of uh, overtook me at the age of 27. So. Well, Corey, I want to dive into that professional baseball career for a while because there is, and I've told a story before, but I believe on the podcast, but, you know, in England, 
a friend of mine was a professional golfer and he ended up playing along, sort of work alongside me in, in the police. You know, my regular listeners know I spent 14 years as a, a detective and I'll tell anyone an old war story if they, cho- if they choose to listen. But, <laughs> but, but my friend was a former professional golfer and I can remember I said to him one day, I said, you know, why are you here? I said, you know, why are you in the police? Should you not be playing golf professionally? He said, Simon, he said, you realize there's a time in your life when you're not good enough. And I looked at him and thought, I would give, well, not give my, my arm because I wouldn't be able to play golf then, but, but I would give anything to have your golf swing. But he was saying that he was a professional golfer, but realized that he wasn't good enough. And, and I could just see the emotion and how challenging that was for him. But, you know, people like me saw him at the top of his game, but he said that I wasn't good enough. So whenever I talk to anyone who's a former professional player, I love to get their perspective surrounding, you know, what's your mindset when your life has been around being this professional baseball player and then you realize that your your career isn't what you wanted it to be or it ends early or you just realize that you're not at that, that level. Maybe, Corey, do you mind trying to enlighten us a little bit about what that chapter of your life was like? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think that there's so there's a lot of people, there's a lot of professional or former professional athletes who have asked this question of themselves and tried to to uh, wrestle with it because I know there's a saying of hindsight's twenty twenty, but hindsight's only twenty twenty if you're honest with yourself about it, right? If you were if you look back on your past your your past career and you still are placing blame on others for you not reaching like your potential, what you thought your potential was, then you're missing the boat most likely. Um, I can't speak for everybody, but for myself, there's there's such a fine line between uh, where I was in the minor leagues. You get drafted, and there's all these levels. And I won't bore you or your fans here to death about this. But a lot of my friends are Americans, so they'll get this. I, okay, I'm English, okay. so I'm like you know, baseball like cricket to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to liken it to soccer because that's you know probably a little bit more your up your alley. But um, you know, so there's all these levels, and at the same time, the level of talent from minor league baseball to the big leagues is not that much different. So, so I can look back and say that was I talented enough to play in the big leagues? Likely I had the talent physically, but at that time in my life, I can look back now honestly and say that I didn't have the work ethic. I didn't know what it really meant to work hard and that, you know, you have to have more mental fortitude and perseverance than I had at that time in my life. And I wouldn't come to realize that until much later for different reasons from things I learned from my opioid addiction and overcoming that. But, um, you know, it is a really tough thing because you wrestle with the fact that this is your identity. This is who I thought I was for so long. I, I identified as a, as a baseball player through college and professionally. And, um, and it got really, really unhealthy. And I, once again, that's another thing you realize after, you know, looking back when hindsight is twenty twenty is when you wrap up your identity in something that's external from like who you really are as a person, man, that can be really volatile. Yeah, and I read that somewhere either on your website or from our last conversation. I forget, I get my facts and figures mixed up, but I know that you know, obviously your identity was in a baseball player and then your identity became as a sort of uh, someone that was addicted to opioids, as, as you mentioned. And so let's let's go to the addiction, uh, if you don't mind. And so, I mean, it's interesting now because you're an Iron Man and I look at your Instagram, I would tell the listeners, just, just I'll put Corey's Instagram in the show notes. He does stuff that I wish I could do. It's, it's crazy to see how far you can push the human body. And um, I mean, my, my swimming isn't good enough to do an Iron Man, Corey, so I can't say one day I'm going to be alongside you. But um, I like looking at your life from afar, wishing that was me. But 
how do you go through this chapter in your life from addiction to get where you are now? So maybe tell us that story. Sure. Well, first I'll say that you, you could easily do what I do. I'm just telling you that right now, but <laughs> you could do that. It's making it, setting a goal and keeping promises yourself daily that can get you there. I promise well, you that's the case. I, I can tell you the reason why I can't right now. I don't have the mindset for it. That's what it okay. is. I don't, want, I, I don't want it enough. You know, I'm the mindset guy. I know why I'm failing. I just don't want it enough. That's great. That's great. You know, so when my addiction started, it was something that, that crept up very slowly. And I think everybody's experience and everybody's story with, a, with drug abuse, with addiction, with alcohol, whatever it is, whatever that vice is, that thing that might be controlling you, it, it can either go very quickly or it can take time. And for myself, it was a slow process. It was something that uh, started out as I took a pill every once in a while um, after I had surgery and it escalated to the point where eventually years down the road, you know, I was stealing pills from family, from friends, faking injury to, to go in and get these opioids. And that's when it became really apparent. It was really hard for me to look myself in the mirror for a lot of years and um, always find a reason that like to, to find a reason that maybe you don't have a problem because you don't want to find it. I mean, I, I did not want to admit to myself that there was something going on that, that was bigger than me that had overtaken me. And so I just decided I wouldn't look in the mirror because if you don't look yourself in the eyes, then like you don't have to necessarily deal with it. But at a certain point, it, it became too heavy, too heavy. There's too much shame. And it had veered me in a path of somebody that I didn't know who I was anymore. And I was faking it in front of everybody from my wife at the time, uh, you know, my family, my friends, literally nobody, nobody in my life knew. I mean, it was a decade long struggle that started off slow, like I said, but ended in a place where almost overdose and, and I stole my dog's fentanyl patch off of her to stick it on my own body. Like I really hate the term rock bottom because I don't, everybody wants to compare maybe rock bottoms. And I think comparison is just, it's a terrible thing because it, it's, it places value on somebody else's struggle more than your own or, or whatever it is, but it, it doesn't do any good to, to compare, especially traumas with other people because um, your trauma is your trauma and it, and it's, it's real. But uh, yeah, it got to a point where it was just too heavy for me anymore. And I felt like I couldn't be live the life that I was hoping to live if I didn't get help and, um, and admit this and, and ask for help. And that was, the hardest, that was the hardest thing to do was to admit it to myself first and foremost, but then to, uh, to let the people closest to me know that this was something that I was struggling with and I, was, and I needed help. And one of the things that I read, uh, again, I think on your website, you said that it destroyed your self-confidence. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. What, what is it? How did it destroy your confidence? Yeah. I mean, was your um, confidence destroyed before or? So, so it, it was, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a trickle down effect, right? So um, my baseball career is over and all of a sudden I'm not the person. I didn't achieve what I thought I could, was going to achieve or could achieve. And at the same time, that's when I was introduced to opioids from a surgery. So it's kind of like this, uh, this really terrible timing of me feeling at the lowest of low because I was done with baseball and that identity was gone. And at the same time, when I'm feeling that low, all of a sudden supplement me with, with pain pills that give you a sense of like masking all that pain, whether it's physical or emotional or mental, like that's what those pills did. And so, you know, I went from a place of feeling pretty down in the dumps with my baseball career ending and not knowing what my future looked like. And then all of a sudden, you know, I have these pills at my disposal that, man, I, I really realized very quickly that, um, that these masks that pain and take it away. And that's a pretty freaking dangerous combination. And just as you were uh, talking there, you know, something was coming to mind. 
mind about you know the sort of drugs taken away people's uh, self-confidence and obviously you've managed to overcome that now but you're talking in there that you lost some maybe not lost some family members but you stole from, from some family members i imagine there was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in there did yeah. you did you lose a lot of relationships through this through the addiction well so i realized i didn't quite answer your question before so i'll go back to that real quick to keep the the lack of self-confidence um, was the fact that like I would promise myself so often, like you're done with this, never take these pills again. And I'd break that promise every time. So over the course of 10 years, I mean, thousands of times was I telling myself, don't do this because I know this isn't something I should be doing or isn't serving me. And yet I would do it anyways. And I, I come to realize through therapy, that, like it changes the chemistry of your brain. And that like when I wanted to say no, like I could turn my brain off and take that pill or take those pills and then immediately regret it. So for me, that destroyed my self-confidence because my, my definition of self-confidence is keeping promises yourself on a regular basis. Like that's how you build your self-confidence. And so during that 10 year period, I completely destroyed my self-confidence by breaking every promise I was making to myself. So it completely broke me down to, to the point where I didn't know who I was anymore because I, I lacked so much confidence in myself. Yeah. So that's, that's the part of uh, where my confidence went just went completely downhill. Well, I'm glad you took us back there. So I don't want my listeners to feel like I'm going easy on you here, Corey. So I skipped over that. So again, I'm joking. No, but no. no. So, so tell, yeah, tell us about the relationships then. So I mean, how how were the relationships at the time, and how are they out of addiction? I mean, sure. is there still people within your friends or family that sort of um, no longer talk to you? Do you manage to rebuild a relationship? Sort of give us a bit of a sort of uh, perspective there. I mean, there's absolutely rebuilding of relationships. And just because nobody in my life knew about my addiction, like that I was high functioning, that I hid it from everybody and pills are easy things to hide. It's not like alcohol or something where there's bottles and there's, you know, you can smell it. Like it was really easy to hide from me because I was functioning very highly. But at the same time, one of the biggest fears for me asking for help, even though I know I needed it, was the fact that all of a sudden, everybody in my life would all of a sudden know like this dark secret that I wanted to take to the grave, that I wanted nobody else to know about. Like I, I did everything to hide it from everybody. And now I was going to go ahead and offer this, like offer my truth to them and, and tell them like what my struggle is and that I've taken pills from you and you and you. And I, you know, I'm this person that nobody knows I am or thinks I could ever be. And so there was so much fear about how I would be met by family and friends when I actually came out and told them this or asked for help. And what I'll say about that is that fear is a real freaking thing. It is so real in your head. And you can tell yourself stories and stories and stories to build that fear up. But in my experience, I had built it up so much that it was the reason I didn't want to say anything. But when I actually did, I realized I was, <laughs> I was met with so much more love and compassion than I would have ever thought. I mean, I really struggled with the fact that when I come and tell my wife this, that that'll be the end of our marriage. I mean, this is a huge, a huge thing to keep from somebody, obviously. And if I kept that from her, obviously, she's gonna be like, well, what else have you kept from me? Right? So there's a, a relationship, 17 years of marriage so far, we're coming up on 17 years. But at this time in my life, this was four years ago when I came clean. So I've been clean for four years. And at that point, so you know, I'm 14 years into 13 years into my marriage. And for a good 10 years of that majority of that marriage, I was doing something behind her back that she had no idea about. So I was obviously fearful that that was going to be or could be the end of that relationship. And, and I remember just being in tears for days as I was leading up to telling my wife, just, just almost mourning or almost mourning that because I, I figured that was going to be the case. And everybody else, my wife met me with so much love, so much, I mean, so much anger 
so much confusion, so much empathy, so much love, so much compassion, like all the freaking, you know, feelings of the rainbow, like, and, and rightfully so for her. And it was very similar way that I was met by so many other people in my life. And to be honest with you, the people closest to me, my friends, my close friends and family, that is how I was met. Do I know that there's people out there that maybe heard my story, saw my story when I started to share it and like, just don't give a shit about me anymore or think like you're you know, a pile perhaps, but those people don't interact with me. And so um, I can't care. I can't carry around with me. Like it's none of my business. What other people think of me, it's just, no, it's none of my business and that's fine. But I know that the people that I do still have in my life, that they truly do care for me because I showed up authentically. Finally, I finally showed up with honesty and authenticity. And there could be people listening to this podcast to two different types. So it could be someone who has a family member who's in some type of addiction. And I'm going wider than chemical dependency here, but there sure. could be someone who has someone who's addicted within their family. And there could be someone listening to this who could still be in denial, I guess, like uh, you were for, for a period. I guess when you reflect back on your life, Corey, is there anything in your past that you look at and you say, maybe there were some behaviors before or a mindset that was telling me that this addiction was going to spit out in some type of form? Or did it totally just catch you left field that you took these pills? You know, I think because the reason why I ask you that question is that you're very unique, that you're mm -hmm. an overcomer. So I think there's, there's power in your story and your wisdom to know, you know, what did you see leading up to? falling into addiction? I mean, so, so great question, because, um, because you're right in the fact that most people, most people, a large percentage of people who struggle with addiction or any substance abuse have had, there, there's probably some tells leading up to it, whether that's childhood trauma, or addiction in the family, or, or whatever it might be. But there's typically something at a young age that might lead somebody down a path where this might have a, be more prevalent, or, or a better chances that you'll struggle with something like this. And in my case, I grew up in the middle of the United States. I grew up in Nebraska. I had a normal, as normal as families come, as normal as families come, I had a normal functioning family. There was no addiction. There was no alcohol abuse. There was no, none of those things. My parents were never divorced. I mean, I didn't have any of those things that you might put on, you know, you know tick on a, on, a, on a box and say, well, this, this maybe set him up for this. And I also, man, I'm no, obviously I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. You obviously can tell that. And so I don't want to speak as if I'm an expert on anything other than I'm an expert on my story. And in my story, I didn't have any of those signs. I was a straight and narrow kid in high school, like sports were everything to me. I didn't drink. I didn't do any, I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke weed. I didn't do anything. Same thing in college. Like I barely drank. The reason it was so hard probably for me to, to come out and tell people this is because I was so far from what people might've thought when you think of an addict or somebody struggling with substance abuse. And so, so for me, even if people notice something different in me over a 10 year period, which I'm like, I can't believe my, my wife didn't notice anything different. I got the benefit of the doubt so many times because of my history as this like straight and narrow, good Midwestern kid who had, to, there's no reason to believe that I would have been struggling with something like this. So I don't go back and think, well, this was a sign that maybe I'd struggle with opioids later on. And what I've learned once again, through therapy and through researching my own story and trying to understand like how this happened to me and why opioids are powerful freaking drugs that are, have a absolute draw towards addiction because of how they're how they're made because of science behind them and i and i and i can honestly say like had i not been prescribed those i don't i don't think i would have found addiction in some other form i i just i don't think in my story that that's how it works out i think the timing was just really crappy and i found uh i found solace in these pills that made me 
stop feeling the things I didn't want to feel at that time. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you are an expert. You're an expert in your story and you, you know, your story has an happy, a happy ending because you have overcome. And I think there's, there's power in that for people to listen to that might be in a troublesome position right now thinking, how do I, how do I get out of this? So I'd love, I know you've sort of touched on it a little bit, Corey, but I'd love to get that sort of, that moment of change, that moment yeah. of clarity where your sort of transformation started as in, I don't want to be this person anymore. I don't want to be this person that's hiding. Um, I need to seek help because I'm going to say this because whenever I mention male issues, downloads skyrocket. So there's an audience out there that are hungry for this. As men, it is difficult for us sometimes to be open with our with our emotions. So I'd love for you to sort of um, share with the listeners about what that look like when you came out and said hey i've got this issue and i i need help which i need help is a difficult sentence for a lot of men to say me included i won't waste our time with the backstory of it um but at the end of the day we want want the backstory there's a lot here's 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 the moment that it happened is is that we were moving from nebraska to seattle with our two little kids and this is an area of the country that we had never been to before that's a lie 15 years prior i'd played a summer of minor league baseball out here when I was first drafted. But my wife had never been. We didn't have family. We didn't have friends. And so this was a brand new place to us. And I came out here early, a week early with my, my younger brother. We took a U-Haul to move all of our stuff out here. And um, I had just, we had been living in my parents' house for once again. A, a part of the story that we don't have time for is we, my, me and my wife had uh, quit our jobs and moved to the Caribbean. And we were going to sail on a boat through the Caribbean for a year and have life experiences. And then two Category 5 hurricanes changed those plans. So we swerve and we end up moving to Seattle. That's a whole other story. But um, I'm I said that's part two of this conversation. Part two, yeah, right. Oh, Anybody want to hear that? Um, but uh, you know, so I get out here to Seattle, and, and my dad had just had surgery in Nebraska before we left, and I was stealing his pills, and I was I was at a place of uh, I was just the, the darkest place I'd been, and and that included like my mental health, but also like the amount of pills that I was taking and stealing from people. And I got here to Seattle with my brother. And I, we unpacked the truck and the next morning I woke up and I I just couldn't sleep. I was like, how can I possibly ask my wife and kids to move halfway across the country with no support system? And I'm really freaking scared about who I've become and like what my future is. And and am I going to live? Am I going to OD? Like I just, I couldn't do it. It became too much. Like the weight became too much for me to carry anymore. And I, and I'll tell you, man, for, for 10 years, I laid in bed next to my wife, like tip of my tongue, like wanting to ask for help, wanting her to tell her what was going on. And I couldn't do it. Like, you know, I'd like have it right there couldn't say it for 10 years. And so finally, you know, we move here to Seattle with my brother. I wake up the next morning, I can't sleep and I'm going to get us coffee and I'm waiting for the coffee shop to open and the freaking it's like quintessential Seattle. It's like pouring freaking rain. It's foggy. It's freaking miserable out. And I'm sitting in this parking lot that's pitch black and I'm just bawling and just bawling. And so I finally Google a, uh, an opioid hotline and I place a phone call and somebody answers and they say, um, you know, this is so-and-so from the opioid crisis line. You know, who am I talking to? And I just say, my name is Corey and I need help. I've been, I'm addicted to opioids. And it's the first time I'd said it out loud to anybody. And so I'm bawling in this parking lot. The guy asked me where, where, I am, where I'm located and I tell him where I'm at in Seattle. And he's like, well, we don't service your area. I'll transfer you to somebody else. And I'm like, great. You know, I can, can't even make out words because I'm sobbing. And um, he transfers me to a line that's dead and there's, there's nobody there. So 
um, I immediately, that was like the, my moment of strength. That was like the moment that I was like, I can fi- I finally admitted this out loud to somebody. And I was like, I need to run with this. So even though the, the hotline didn't work, and I think that a lot of people, unfortunately, our stories are similar in that regard. When you are ready to ask for help, it's not always as easy as just asking for help. Like there's all these hoops to maybe jump through. It makes it really difficult. But I raced home to my brother and I woke him up at 5.30 in the morning and bawling. And he's obviously like, what the hell is going on? And I just, I just pour my guts out to him and um, tell him, you know, tell him everything. And, uh, and I had some guilt actually in that. I mean, I, I know now looking back and my wife and I have talked about this, that like, it, it didn't matter who I told, like, I just needed to tell somebody um, to get me going on the right path to ask for help. And I felt guilty because I felt like my wife should be the person that I told, like she's the person I'm closest to in my life. And yet I couldn't tell her. And so I, I carried some guilt with that for telling for my brother being the first one to know. But I also feel like now looking back that like it was the right circumstances for me to ask for help and maybe maybe it happened that way for a reason. So that was the beginning of me of understanding like the power of authenticity, the power of honesty, like all these things that I had lost that I had like didn't even know who I was anymore. The moment that I actually asked for help and got this like monkey off of my back. It was the moment that like literally within that 24 hours of telling my wife, flying back to Nebraska and telling my wife and her meeting me, like I said earlier, with all those, all those emotions that rightfully so, but eventually, you know, ending with her meeting me with love and the fact that we were going to figure this out. And, um, and I felt like I could, there's nothing I can't do. Like if I could do this, which I thought I would take to my grave, it would either kill me or I take to my grave and nobody would know because I'm too ashamed to tell anybody the moment I said it out loud and asked for help. I literally had like, I get goosebumps thinking about it because it's the moment that changed my life. And the fact that like, I felt there's nothing I can't do. Like, this is the hardest thing I'll ever do. So what, what's so, what could possibly be this hard? My life now is, is not even, not just manageable, but like I can do pretty amazing things if I could just do this right now. And, um, and that, that would lead into my, my story of, of learning how to trust myself and keep promises to myself again. And eventually, you know, achieve some pretty, pretty awesome things, I think. And, um, yeah, we can go down that path, but I would really like to, to to discuss that for sure. Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's so much power and wisdom in your story. And what what I like about it is it'd be very easy to be the overcomer, because really that's what you are, and disappear into the background and never be seen, you know, maintain that family life. But that isn't you, and maybe that's part of your sort of pro sports background as well and overcoming. But... You could disappear in the background, but you don't. You're here on a podcast, you know, you're sharing your story, you're being vulnerable. What makes you, what inspires you to use the adversity that's happened in your life to try and propel that to help others also overcome? Yeah. So for so long during that 10 years when I was struggling, I was wanting to find my story. I was wanting to find somebody I could relate to. And I felt so alone. And I think so many of us feel alone. I mean, I think the one thing that we all have in common as human beings is like, we all struggle, like our struggles are different. They're not all the same, but we all struggle. But it's also very isolating to be in a struggle when you feel like there's nobody else that shares your story. And so I could find, I mean, I, how many times I searched for like people like to know, like, do I have hope? Am I like, how does my story end? Because I'm looking for other people who have lived it. And I can find the stories of like the Brett Favre's of the world. The, the you know Packers quarterback who was and, on and Vikings and the Vikings. And sorry, and yeah, you're exactly right. Sorry, I, yeah. I am an Englishman in Minnesota. I better clarify for people there. I don't want to get myself he, in trouble. He looked good in purple. You're right. Yeah. Um, and so, but you could find that story, right? And and here's the thing with with like high level professional athletes that struggle with uh, addiction is that you have a whole entourage of people to help you. 
I mean, you have a huge backing of an organization that A, is looking out for not only your best interest, but their best interest. And so you have an entourage of people that will help you. And it's not taboo. It's almost like pushed under the rug. Like Brett Favre, you know, checked into rehab for this, but nobody cares because everybody's waiting for his return. And then that's all that matters. Um, and the other story, which we all see or, or witness, is the homeless people on the street who overdose and, you know, they find, I mean, you worked in this world probably where this was, uh, you know, something that you saw. But like, I live in a place where this is very much a, a normal thing for me to drive through the streets of Seattle and see people struggling with their mental health and with drug addiction and all those things. And, um, but during my time of 10 years struggling, like those were not my stories. I was somewhere in between. I was this guy who was kept my job, kept my wife, kept my family, was nobody knew that I was struggling with this addiction. And so I felt like such a fraud, but I also felt super alone because I felt like there's nobody else like me. Like what is wrong with me that, that I, that I'm struggling like this? Like I just felt broken and I felt very isolated. And so not being able to find my story made me realize that when I, when I finally did ask for help, I kept it very close. I kept it in the inner circle. Not everybody knew. I was still, there's still so much shame wrapped up in it, even though I had admitted it, like it's still um, something that doesn't just like go away. Like you, I needed to work with a therapist to talk about like not only how to move forward, but also like what were the reasons behind my opioid abuse and what was, you know, some of the, the some of the stories I had made me acknowledge about my past. And so as I do this and I start to gain more confidence in understanding my story and understanding like my whys, like why I maybe, you know, ended up addicted to opioids, I became way more comfortable with my story. And I saw my story of addiction, not as something to be ashamed of, but like all of a sudden, as I'm a year out from asking for help and two years out and three years out, like all of a sudden, the thing that I was so ashamed of is now the thing that like, I need to talk about, like it's. It's like, I'm not now I'm proud now, now I'm very proud of it. Like I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but I wouldn't change it for myself because now it has taught me so many things and allowed me to share and connect with so many people because at the end of the day, everybody's struggling with something. And how do we connect as a community, as a society? It's through our struggles. It's through connection, through the things that we are struggling with. It is not through me saying, hey, I was a professional baseball player and you know I have a freaking you know, perfect family and all these things. Like That's the stuff that turns people away. What actually provides connection is our struggles. It's, that's what people brings people together and makes you just another person who is just like anybody else. And so, so I needed to be the story that I couldn't find when I was struggling. I like that beaver story that I couldn't find. And there is, I'm terrible with my episodes of my podcast, but there's a gentleman called Lewis Conway Jr. served time for murder, I believe. But he, a couple of sentences that he always says, you know, if, you, if you're judged on the worst day of your life for the rest of your life, you will never get anywhere. But he is very similar sort of mindset um, to you, but you've got to use, you've got to use your story for the good of others and be that, be that is sort he, of Is he the, pad, the paddleboarder? See the paddleboarder? No, that's that's oh. a guy called David David Hayes. Yeah, okay. yeah, you're okay. Um, uh, David David is another interesting interesting story. Yes, yeah, so for the listeners, if you haven't listened to David Hayes, like, I'll I'll put these in the show notes. So you can find out. Um, in, similar story to you as well. Actually, to be fair, some some addiction and stuff in there that yeah. led to sort of a a criminal life for him. But fascinating stuff. I, I could talk to you all day. I really could. I I'm really loving this. I'd love to know. What are some of the biggest things that you've learned about yourself now? Because I know you're starting to write a book, so maybe I'll, let's let's get some of that stuff out there. There's a book that you write, but there's, there's daily quotes. Tell us about the positivity that's in your life now, how you're used in your story to yeah. help others. Maybe, maybe let's let's go there. Yeah. Um. So 
me understanding the power of authenticity and, and um, no longer hiding behind um, my experience and my story. You know, I was really nervous. Like I told you, I was really nervous to, to let anybody know, and especially, you know, social media and, and all that, you know, gaggle of people who you have no idea what kind of trolls you're going to get. But also, even more importantly, probably is, is people that I work with. And I'm a medical device rep. So I work in the medical world, which I thought to myself, well, holy crap, like, am I jeopardizing my job? My wife stays at home, like I have, you know, make the money for our family. Like, what if I go and tell anybody in this world that I work in that I struggled with opioids for 10 years? Like, am I going to be shunned? And am I going to be blackballed? Am I going to lose my job? And, um, and slowly, as I started to share with people close to me at work and at different places, I realized that um, once again, that was a fear. That was a complete fear fabricated in my mind and that it has provided so much connection. As I said, like people don't connect over like the big things that are, you know, that you're trying to make people envious about, or they don't connect over like the, the silly conversations of like, how was the weather? What did you do this weekend? People connect over, you know, deep, honest, authentic conversation. And so what I learned is that like my authentic, my authenticity now has like, has energy. Like there's an aura, there's like being honest with people, being heartfelt, like truly showing up in an authentic way, like changes everything. It's changed my personal relationships. It's changed professional relationships. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you. Like this is like a perfect example of like how, how sharing your story, because we all have stories, like we all have a story. And you might want to poo-poo yours or say, mine is not important, whatever it is. Like, that's complete BS because everybody has trials, tribulations, things they've overcome. And by sharing those things, honestly and authentically, like that is how you, I don't want to say change the world. That's maybe a massive thing. But, but truly, if we're all able to be vulnerable enough to, to share like the things we struggle with and overcome, like that's the kind of thing that can change a lot of the dynamics and, and the energy of, of the world. Ah, like this amazing thing, but it's no. true. Yeah, I mean, you've got a, you're, you're a man that speaks from the heart, and I, I like that about it. I should, should say to my listeners that most of the people that I talk to, we have some sort of pre-conversation, and then we sort of, we get an outline as to what a conversation might be like, and then we, we come back, and then we, and then we shoot it. So, um, you know, I, I've heard a lot of this stuff before, but I, I'm getting the same passion and enthusiasm as I did all that time ago that we spoke. So it's a uh, it is, it's really great to hear you talk and deliver these messages because I know it's going to inspire many, many people. And I guess, Corey, as we start to wrap up our conversation, and maybe there is going to be a part two of this um, in the future, there's, there's so much more we could di- dive into. But uh, here's two questions I'd like to ask you. They're, they're quite deep questions, but whenever I get yeah. anyone like you, I think it's, um, it's really valuable for people to get the insight. And I'm going to, going to tear it up a little bit for my listeners to the podcast. So someone might know someone who is in the throes of addiction. And I'm going to ask Corey two questions surrounding that addiction. And what I'd ask you to do is try and share this episode or listen, listen to his answers and see if you can take anything away to help you in your circumstance. So Corey, I'd like to first ask from your perspective, if there's someone who could be highly functioning, who has an addiction, who's listening to this podcast, what words would you give to inspire them? Yeah, um, that you're, you're not alone, right? That you, you feel isolated and you feel so much shame. And once again, like I said earlier, like the, the fear of letting people in is really freaking scary. But you have a choice and all it takes is a moment. It takes a moment of strength a moment to ask for help to come to somebody close to you and just say it out loud. Because the moment that I, I needed accountability, I had lost my self-confidence because I stopped making, keeping promises to myself. 
what you need is somebody to help keep you accountable. And I found that by just saying it to somebody, saying it out loud, all of a sudden, it's not as easy to break promises to other people as it is to yourself when that's a learned behavior. So the moment that you say it out loud and ask for help, like you can change your life and you don't have to wait for rock bottom. I find so much solace in my own story because I didn't wait to have somebody else tell me I needed to change. I didn't wait for you know me to be checked into a hospital or for me to have an intervention. Like I find so much confidence and solace knowing that like, I eventually just said, this is too much for me and I need to change it. And, I'm, and I, I did that on my own by asking for help. And so if you're in that position, find somebody, find a moment of strength. It just takes a moment and ask for help. Thank you, Corey. That's great words of wisdom. And then the second part of the question are, to those family members, you know, like your wife, like your brother, you know, the, the inner circle that even might know someone who's in addiction or someone to come out as being addicted and they're struggling in their mind to even not judge them or they've been stolen from, they've been hurt and there's a loss of trust. Obviously, you and your wife, you've gone on to rebuild your relationship. What, what advice would you give to, give to that person, that side of addiction? Yeah, um, that there's more to that person you love than what you're seeing. And I think that you know, what you see is the addiction, what you see is like how the person is acting either when they're on drugs or, or whatever it might be, but know that like there's more to that person and that you can't change them either. You can be there for them, but it has to be, it has to come from them. Like they're going to have to decide that they want to change. So don't, my wife from day one, and we talked to a therapist the day after I asked for help. And the, you know, the, the counselor was like, Nikki, this is not your job to change him. It's, it's Corey's job. Like this is all on his shoulders. This is not up to you. And it was not only good advice for her to feel like this isn't her job to fix me, but it also like really resonated with me that like, it's not, I need to start to learn how to be accountable to myself. So if you are one of those people and you have somebody in your, in your life who is struggling, um, be there for them, love them, know that like there is more to them than this addiction that they're struggling with, but also that, that you can't change it for them. They have to change it themselves. Well, Corey, those were two deep questions that, that I threw at you there, but um, I loved your answers. And I know it's common sense in today's world. That's going to resonate with someone that's listening. Someone is going to know someone, uh, one of those sides of that story. So thank you for being open, vulnerable and sharing your story with me. So I know You've got a couple of free downloads. I know you've got your book impending. I'll definitely link all your details within the show notes for people to be able to find you and, and search some of your, your stuff out on the internet. But uh, what is the best way for people to get hold of you, Corey? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm on Instagram at Corey Harrington Anew. And uh, that's probably the best way to get hold of me. But my you know, email, that's, that's great too. And I have a website. And uh, like Simon said, he'll put it in the show notes. Um, but the best part about all this has been that people have I've reached out to me, people in my life I had no idea who were struggling and reconnected with and given hope. And I won't even say advice, but it just sometimes takes somebody to connect with. So if that is you and we have, you've never met me before, it doesn't even matter. Like you just need somebody who maybe can understand what you're going through and reach out. I'd, I'd love to connect with you. Well, Corey, I know this is a new begin, beginning for me and you. I'm looking forward to growing our friendship over the next few months. But for, for now, you have a blessed evening. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast. To help spread this inspiring story, be sure to share it with your friends, hit the like button, and of course, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss out on any future episodes. We'd also love to hear how this story impacted you. So leave us a comment on whatever platform you're watching us from. To learn more about this episode, our guests, or Simon, head over to simonosimo slash podcast and sign up to receive the latest information delivered straight to your inbox. 
Once again, thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast.